Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Source Financia, Coast to Main Podcast, and the host of the Source Financia YouTube channel, of course, back with another one. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Greetings, everyone. This is Payman Lorenzo, your host of the Leaders Without Podcast. I have a very special guest, my good friend, uh, Rico. We've known each other for, for a few years. We met a few times when I was living in China and Hong Kong. Rico has been doing, is also like me from Toronto, Canada, has been based in Asia and Hong Kong and China for the past few years. And he's been building an amazing business uh, on uh, manufacturing sourcing. I will let him uh, tell us all that in detail. Today, Rico is the CEO of a company called SourceFan Asia that helps businesses and entrepreneurs to uh, to get the best manufacturing and, and help them hold their hands every step of the way when it comes to the manufacturing in China and has been doing a lot of other awesome things. Rico, my friend, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lorenzo. Uh, very humble what you said because you're like a, a big part of the reason why I moved to China. You know, does your audience know that story? Like, no, um, not yet. You can share that if you want. Yeah. So basically, when I was coming towards the end of college, I knew that I didn't really want to work for anybody. So you know, you, you're searching for answers, and I came across like a forum it was about you know men's health, dating, like everything, travel, travel. entrepreneurship. I got yeah. really, yeah, I got really interested in the travel and entrepreneurship uh, section, and I came across a thread which was basically like. I think it was like Hong Kong and mainland China business guys, something like this. And it clicked with me because I'd been to Hong Kong quite a few times, like twice. And then I'd been to mainland China with my mom, probably I want to say three, four years before that. So I clicked on it and I started reading about the stories and I'm hearing about the lifestyle, but then I'm also hearing about the business opportunities. And I think there was a link in the thread to their YouTube channel which was the elevator life at the time. Yeah. And, you know, two guys from the US, 23 years old, maybe at the time. And they just reminded me of like myself and my friends, you know what I mean? It was just like, mm-hmm. oh, and then you start thinking, okay, these guys can do it. then I can do it. And I just kind of said, I have nothing to lose and ended up uh, moving to China. And then I found out later on, because obviously on the forum, we had pseudonyms that you were the the person who created that thread and was the person who had traveled and was describing his experiences. And I was like, man, that's crazy. I didn't know that. I knew you already. Like we met through InterChina. And then I found out like a year later that you were the one who created that that thread. And I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. That was quite an experience for me as well going to, because I've been, you know, I've lived in many countries, always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And then when I Actually, it was funny because before that, I actually found out about these guys in the spring of 2011. I was working for a, a global firm here in Canada. And then at the end of August, we get laid off the entire department, wondering what the hell I'm going to do. And I said, okay, let me go check what's, because I didn't want to go back to another corporate gig. I said, let me go back and check these guys out. So I messaged them. Mm-hmm. I booked a ticket. The last day of work was uh, Friday. Monday, Monday morning, I had my plane ticket for Hong Kong. 
went there, spent a week in Hong Kong, met these guys, absolutely blown away there, and then went to Guangzhou, met them, and they showed me things, they introduced me to people. And of course, you know, we parted like rock stars and all that. That's a, a wild story for another time. I went straight from uh, from the party to the to the airport. I had a flight at 9 a.m. to go to Manila. So I, I said, I still wonder how the hell I made it that night, you know, halfway. But uh, did you did you party in Manila? Oh yes, of course. <laughs> because I was I was supposed to come back for a flight back from Manila to to, to, to Toronto. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was an incredible time. And ever since I came back, I returned from that trip. I always had in my mind that I need to return back to China. I need to return back to China. And then back in 2015, I got a job offer to that I couldn't refuse as a football coach. It was my passion, my religion, and and yeah, the rest is history. So this podcast is not about me. It's about you, Rico. So for people who don't know you, tell us about you. What the hell is Rico? I currently live in Manila. And that's why I was laughing about the, the partying thing. So I was born in, in Zambia, Southern Africa, and uh-huh. moved. my family moved to the U.S. when I was 10. And then eventually found ourselves in uh, Toronto. You know, I mean, I, I love Canada. Like, I, you know, I see myself... Uh-huh raising a family there and everything, but I was comfortable. It was a very comfortable life. And I think I was looking for not just the entre- entrepreneurship side, but I think I was looking for the adventure. And that's a big part of the reason why I moved to, to Asia. I've been very much focused on the business. I was very much focused on the business for the first four or five years. And I think in 2018, 2019, I kind of realized that I needed to because a lot of a lot of people left China, a lot of people that I was uh-huh. friends with and stuff like, and I found myself like basically just going to office, going to gym, going home, going to office like every day, even on the weekends. You know what I mean? It was just kind of I was I became like a robot, and then I traveled, and I realized I had to kind of get my social life back, and that's what led me to Philippines, I guess. You know, before going to China, I'm sure you you did some research. You had your own. Yep. Pre, pre-ideas of China and when you landed in China, was that what you expected or was it com- something that completely blew your mind away that nothing like what you had expected that you were prepared for? I think it blew my mind, but the thing is, it's because I went there when I was 16. Oh, but that okay. time period when I went there, I was 16, I went to, I was only in like the Guangzhou railway area, like mm-hmm. Taojin and all that stuff. And that time, it, Anybody that's been to Guangzhou knows that it's like small streets, like it's not exactly clean. Um, even though you they have like, you know, a Gucci store and whatever, like it just wasn't what I imagined my uh, vacation being like. So I did not like China when I was 16 and I was not impressed. Um, but then because I was watching the videos, I was like, wait, that's Guangzhou. Like I, I was watching the videos of, of Tim and Nick and I was kind of seeing a different side. But of course, it's different when you arrive and you realize like they built an entire city essentially in 10 years, you know, the whole Lieda uh, area. And and it's like all of the buildings were new, like the roads were giant. Like it was it was I was it was it was mind blowing in the aspect of like how big everything was. Mm-hmm. I remember that feeling of just like, wow, like this is this is big. And then, of course, I mean, I moved there for business. So I. The first thing I did is I used to take the subway. I would just pick random places and just get off yeah. and then just walk. Explore. And then you find just explore. Yeah. 
but I would just like look at the map and be like, what's there? And then I'll go and then you find it's like the market for USBs. But it's just USBs and it's thousands of stores of USBs and they all look the same. I remember I remember getting headaches, like literally getting headaches. Like, how would you pick which USB you're going to buy here? You know what I mean? Um, eventually, I developed a system around that. Like if I went to buy something, I would like quickly go to each shop, ask how much it is. And then I would get an average in my brain of what the cost should be. And then I would go to the, I'll go to like three or four that I felt had given me a fair price. And then I'll pick one from there, nego- negotiate and pick one from there. But um, the biggest shock I think was just how, how big it was. And then the aspect of going somewhere and, and just seeing thousands of stores making the same exact product. And there's thousands of places like that in the city. You know what I mean? So those are kind of the main things. And then um, I think... The other thing is the work ethic and the entrepreneurial spirit of, of Chinese people. Like, you know how in the West, we have the, this sort of stereotype about, not even a stereotype, I mean, it's, it's statistically true that men uh, start companies more than women, right? And there's this history around that. In China, like everybody's an entrepreneur. It's never a surprise to walk into a shop and find that the owner of the shop is a woman or you go to a factory and a woman's running the factory. Like it, those things are never surprising in China. It's just part of normal existence. Oh yeah. Do you miss living uh, in China? I don't think I miss living in China, but I miss being there from time to time. I think that if I could have done what I wanted to do originally, which was to spend, you know, let's say six months out of the year mm-hmm. in other places and then be six months in China. I think I would have been fine. I, I think being there for like two, three, four months out of out of it in a row became a little bit draining for me. Yes. Uh, but being there for like a month, uh, I could do that because you, you know, you go and you go to the old places that used to hang out. I still have my office there, so it's like there's a lot of things that I could do. I, I I still I actually miss going to factories. There's always like a stimulating experience because you go mm-hmm. and. You, you know, especially if it's a product that you don't have as much experience in, it's almost like a fact-finding mission. You feel like a detective in some aspects. So I, I miss that, that that aspect. And I miss the food as well. Yes, the food, when you know what you eat, can be really good. Even I miss those, yeah. believe it or not, maybe you will laugh, but even those very basic, you know, those Muslim uh, shops, I love the food love there, it. you know? Oh, yeah, I love yeah. those, you know? Yeah, that, I mean, I used to eat that. Like I, when I first moved, I was mm. living in this place called Li Jiao. Basically, it was a village. And then there was just that one area of, of apartments that were like Venetian inspired, but really not <laughs> anything special. Like I think my rent at the time was like $150 a month or something. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was 300 total, but with a roommate, 150 Oh, wow. Which gives you an idea of like, you know, the area and the quality oh, yeah. of the apartment. But yeah, so the, the Lamian place was like, that was my go-to place. It was just outside of the apartment and yeah. I'll go there. And, you know, it was, it was really inexpensive, but the food was great. Um, it was family owned. So I kind of got to mm-hmm. know the family know a little them, bit. Yeah. You can get food from every 
type you want from those pla small places, humble places. Even one of the things I, I love yep. doing there was, you know, going in this back alleys and those barbecue, especially eggplant barbecue, mm -hmm. fish barbecue, the, the veggies barbecue on a stick with beer. You can spend all night with friends and spend less than maybe 10 bucks per person or whatever. But you can yeah, also go are... to places where you can spend like a lot of money and, and, and incredible food. So, so yeah, I really miss those part of China too. Yeah. Yeah. had a good time china was good man even like being taken out by the chinese bosses oh, I, yes. I know that there was a time period where i was like going to factories like every week mm -hmm. so when you're going to factories every week it's like i can't i can't go out with the with the boss every single time but i mean once in a while it was fun especially if i was in a city that i wasn't familiar with uh, and it was always interesting did you have those uh, special treatments like you, you go to a, to, a, to a fancy dinner and then they take you to a ktv Afterwards, <laughs> yeah, but you know, they, they tried to offer you the KTV girls, and I was like, Oh, no, I'm good, so exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. Yeah. So, listen, that's amazing. Before we get further into that, um, you know, what I lo love to do in my podcast is, um, sure, I'm interested in, in, in the professional achievement of the person, but most what I'm mostly interested in is to look, so to speak, under the hood to see what's in the heart of the person, hence the name Leaders with a Heart. And I know you're true leader rico so let me ask you first some heart-minded questions to have because i want to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with my my guest first of all what makes you happy what makes me happy um it's a good question there's a lot of different things i don't think it's one thing i think working hard actually it's int it's interesting because during this uh pandemic there were sections where i was extremely busy and then there were sections where nothing was going on and i always found that if I had like uh, weeks where I wasn't that busy, I started to feel like not fulfilled in some aspects. But the times when I was busy and sometimes even stressed, when I finished work at the end of the day, I always felt like a sense of uh, accomplishment and, you know, that productivity. So I really like that. I like systems. It's kind of, I guess, a little bit nerdy, but I like I like systems like it. One of my favorite things about building a company is to systemize things and to mm -hmm. see it working and to kind of sit and and figure it out and automate things. Uh, I like teaching. That's something I learned when I was teaching English in China. I didn't know that I liked teaching. I don't like teaching English necessarily, but I like to teach, which is a big part of the reason why I liked uh, uh, starting a podcast. I like podcasting as well. But uh, yeah, teaching systems working hard and sports i think what makes you smile what makes you smile? stand-up comedy my dog yeah oh wow what kind of dog is it uh siberian husky nice nice okay oh, it's siberian husky cool. also i like to uh, <laughs> i like to tease people as well so that that's something that makes me smile you're a prankster <laughs> Yeah, I am. I am. Like, it's one of those things like people, sometimes I'm like, I'm a little bit standoffish, I guess, to, uh, not standoffish, but I can come across like that because sometimes when I meet people for the first time, I'm just kind of analyzing, like I'm not even, it has nothing to do with that person. It's just me. Mm -hmm. Like, I like to watch people. I like to see how they behave in certain situations. But then when they get to know me, a lot of times I end up just like making fun of them or, you know, they, they find out that there's a, completely different side to my personality where I might like jump on a table and start dancing or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, really? Like that, so. Okay. 
So yeah. you gotta, you yep. better get do that when we meet again in in, in Asia next time. <laughs> yeah, if if uh, if the bars are open, it'll definitely happen. Don't worry, I'll make them open just for you, Rico. <laughs> All right. So what makes you come alive? Um, I think, I think challenges makes me come alive. Mm -hmm. uh, travel, like uh, from a very young age. I was very fortunate that my my parents were in a position to to take me to places. Um, mm -hmm. So I mean, I went to the states. I went to the UK when I was like a like little little kid. I went to Hong Kong and Bangkok when I was like seven years old. Those kind of experiences, going to a new place, new mm -hmm. smells, new food, new cultures, figuring out stuff. Like when I was in Indonesia, I went by myself, and it's like one of those things where. It reminds me of the first time I'm in China where you're like, okay, how do I, what, if I want to do X, how do I do it? If I want to order food, how do I order it? Nobody speaks English, you know, like sure. little things like that. So yeah, I mean, that I think travel is a big part of that. Oh, yes. What makes you sad and angry? Sad and angry. Sad, I mean, there's not that many things that could make me sad, to be honest. I mean, I could imagine things that made me sad. By I mean they don't really happen, knock on wood. Yeah. I I, I guess um, can I can I change it to stressed? Sure. It's always interesting because I always talk to my friends. It's like I I when I started a company, I didn't, I didn't really think so much about the stress side of it. Mm -hmm. And it would be interesting. It'll be like one month where you make a you make a lot of money and you're like on top of the world. And then another month where it's slow and then you, you feel down. So those are things that I, I, I learned about myself is that mm -hmm. sometimes my stress levels were connected directly to how much revenue the money the company was making. Even angry. I don't really get angry that much. I think I get irritated mm -hmm. by people that get emotional okay. easily. Because I'm not like I'm not like that. I'm usually pretty even mm -hmm. keel. Even when somebody's coming at me, I usually am able to kind of like calmly handle situations and and you know not get irritated. But when I hang out with people on a regular basis that are up and down, up and down, up and down, I think that that irritates me. Okay, what scares you? What scares me? <laughs> I've always been like an old soul. So like, I remember when I was 12 years old, I was talking to my friends and uh, I was my friend. I think I was talking to like my, my parents or somebody. And I said, my biggest fear is being mediocre. And they're like, how, wow. what? They're like, this is a 12 year old <laughs> talking amazing. like this. Like, so the mediocre side of things, that's never going to happen because of my life experiences at this stage. Biggest fear right now. I guess maybe just like um, maybe not leaving behind the sort of legacy that I want to leave. Maybe that's it. Because I mean, everything else are not like it's not they're not biggest fears. They're just you know little fears. Speaking of legacy, how do you want to be remembered for? Or for what do you want to be remembered? So when someone says Rico, how do you want them to to remember you? I would say multifaceted, like a renaissance man. You know, I'm somebody that doesn't like to be put in a box. Like when I was a kid, I used to like to dress like hip hop. And then you get these stereotypes. 
And then I started wearing like suits and stuff like that. And even with the suits, initially, depending on because depending on the kind of suit I would wear it, some people thought like I was a musician. You know what I mean? It was like it changed from whatever it was to to a musician. But then um, going back to the thing I was talking about earlier, when people meet me for the first time, sometimes they could think, "Oh, he's a quiet dude," or he's like um, so serious. You know, I get that a lot. Like, because I, I kind of uh, am I allowed to swear? Ah, uh, sure. Because I kind of have a resting bitch face, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like nothing's, nothing's going on in my mind negative in that moment. I'm just like mm-hmm. working, or I'm sitting thinking, uh, or I'm listening to somebody talk, and they think like, "Oh, he's such a serious guy." So then I like it when they see me in an environment where, like, the other side of me comes out. Like I mentioned, maybe I start dancing, you know, and I'm dancing on a table and whatever and they're like oh i i never i didn't think he was that kind of person i'm like you tried to put me into a box and then at the same time it's like I, yeah i like to be un- unpredictable at the same time i could sit down with somebody and talk to them about sports talk to them about random topics fashion movies comic books and then we could also sit down and talk about spiritualism and buddhism and stoicism and entrepreneurship like you know it's like you can i like to be a renaissance man that's awesome i can talk to people i can talk to women about women's fashion i used to sell i used to sell women's clothes you know when nice. i was in college yeah it's yeah. like speaking of fashion i i did notice from the first time we met that you have a keen sense of fashion you always you know uh, if the best if not one of the better dressed people in the room so kudos for that because that's important you know Right now, right now, I'm wearing my pajamas, though. Oh, that's a pajama. Oh, my God. Excuse me, my Lord. <laughs> Sir Rico. <laughs> no, that's fine, but that's fine. Let me ask you some questions. I think questions. The, 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 fashion, okay. the fashion thing, I think, uh, I've always liked fashion. I think even when I was a little kid. And then I just think it evolved over the years. Like, my tastes evolved mm-hmm. uh, based around my age or what I was doing at the time or uh, who I guess you could call my idols were um, celebrity wise. And then I think the, the, the suits thing happened just because, you know, Barney from How I Met Your Mother. Okay. That was my favorite show in when I was in high school. And Barney was my favorite character. And that was kind of like, I, I think he shaped a lot of my personality, to be, to, oh, wow. to be honest. But then I started selling suits. Like I was selling suits in college and I learned how to put a suit together. And I had to buy suits for work. So I just started wearing suits and then I started getting compliments. And then, you know, my ego came into it and I was like, this is how I'm dressing now for exactly. the rest of my life. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, awesome. Let me now ask you yeah. some fun questions. You know, when we kids growing up, everybody ask, ask us, so Rico, whether it's your parents, your friends, your family, your relatives, so Rico, what do you want to become when you grow up? What was your answer back then? Um soccer player football player really actually first it was a businessman because my dad mm-hmm. i used to wear suits to kindergarten really like a, you know <laughs> i had a briefcase yeah that's amazing my lunch my lunchbox was like a briefcase and amazing you know. and then uh, it changed when i got older I, I i started playing football and then i said football player who was your favorite player at which age depends whatever the first one the first one 
first would have to be I guess first would have to be David Beckham. Really? Wow. And then yeah, it was Beckham, Vinistore, um, Cristiano Ronaldo. And then after Ronaldo left, it's never I never really have had a favorite player besides maybe uh, Marcus Rashford right now. So I noticed a trend. A trend. You seem to be a, a big Man U fan, eh? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I I admired a lot of players at different teams. I think Ronaldinho was mm-hmm. was a player that I, I watched a lot. Oh, um, yeah. Magician. Like, yeah, I would, I would. I would stay up and like watch La Liga games just to watch him. Mm-hmm. In the time when Robinho was at Real Madrid, mm-hmm. he was very exciting as well. Thierry Henry is an interesting one because I hated him <laughs> until <laughs> until maybe his last one or two seasons at Arsenal when I started to like I started to appreciate what he does and how he plays and everything. But before that, I was like, I really hated him. He's the biggest rival. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, he was, he was killing it. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, at that age as a kid, you're just like, I don't like this yeah, person yeah. because they're, they beat my team or whatever. But yeah, Thierry Henry is another one who I, mm-hmm. to this day, I'll watch uh, clips of him on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Amazing. And actually, there's one clip that actually gets me a little bit emotional. It's called Some Things Never Change. If you go on YouTube and type that, it's a it's a, a three-meta clip. Basically, Henri left Arsenal, went to Barcelona, went to New York FC, and then he was older. He was much older at this stage. Mm-hmm. He went on loan to Arsenal yes. during like the Christmas period. So you, you can imagine this guy is the legend of the club, but he's coming back as not the same player. Like He's mm-hmm. now slower. Not as strong, all that stuff. He even had like a giant beard at the time, but they gave him a statue outside the stadium. So the way the video is clipped up, it shows old clips of him when he was in his prime at Arsenal, and then him crying, giving a speech at the statue, and then him playing for Arsenal again for the first time. And there's all these like uh, quotes and things like that, emotional music. And he comes on as a substitute and scores almost identical to the way he used to score. You know what I mean? It's just the way whoever edited that video is is brilliant because it really it really gets you. Like you understand check it out. his his feelings around it and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of menu, what do you think of the probably the greatest United player ever, Eric Cantona? The king. The king. Um, I think I was too young to have actually watched him a lot. Like I maybe saw him in his last season because I really got into it in the treble winning season. Okay, yeah. But I mean, again, Cantona is another one of those where I go and I watch YouTube videos. I, I appreciate him in terms of what he accomplished and how he was as a player. I wish I wish he... Because he retired at like 30. He retired when you're yes. still... Yeah, and it's still still in his prime, especially for that position as a player at like midfield. At the top, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I wish he had played a little bit longer so I could have seen him. Sure, for sure. So, let's go back to when you were growing up, a kid. What was your favorite subject in school? Math. I liked math first, and then uh, hated history at the time. <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> 
I'm trying to think what else. Like it was, I think it was math for a very long time. And then English, uh, because I used to have these competitions with the other guys in class and the girls. So, you know, we'll, we'll do like spelling bees and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Or like a spelling test. Mm-hmm. And I went on like a run. I remember it was like, um, I think I was like 13 at the time. I went on like a run where I was getting 100% every test week after week after week after week. And it became one of those things where there was only one other person in the class who was also also doing the same as me. And uh, yeah, so I I remember English was one. And then eventually, because of one teacher that I found very fascinating, history became an interesting subject for me. Um, We had a a teacher called Mr. Golson. And the reason why it was interesting is because his character, he was just like a teacher who was very sarcastic, extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he made you ask questions about what you believe in, what you've been taught. Like he was the first person in my life that made me think like that. So, yeah. Awesome. Before we talk about your business and what you're doing now, if you look at your path and your life so far, how would you describe your path as something that once you get into one path, was it straight, smooth sailing all the way? Or was it like filled with twists and turns along the way and you had to change your path along the way? So how would you describe your path so far? Definitely not smooth because of the amount of times I changed schools as a kid. Mm-hmm. The amount of countries I lived in before I was like, mm-hmm. before I was like 12 years old. You know what I mean? So I don't think I had a traditional childhood in any sense. Um, not that I didn't grow up comfortable. Like my parents were entrepreneurs and, you know, were never, I mean, I went to like good schools and things like that, but it's just that thing where, you know, you go to a school and you're, you make friends and then you get pulled out, you go somewhere else. You don't like this school. Eventually you make friends, you get pulled out, you go somewhere else. So that, that creates a little bit of a interesting childhood. And then um, I think, you know, going to China, that was the first time in my life that I faced adversity by myself and in a financial aspect. I mean, my first month in China, I almost left because I was just like, I didn't expect to have to um, rent an apartment. Like I was supposed to go stay in the university and things happened mm-hmm. and I was running out of money and you know, not, didn't have a job, obviously, you know, things like that. And then to persevere and go through that and figure it out and start a business, like, you know, it's, it was an interesting dip and then, you know, come up. So what helped you and, 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 and the depth of that dip to keep going? Was it I think friends, it was just the, family. It was, was it your belief in yourself, your vision? What was it? I think it was a fear of failure. And I, I wanted to prove people wrong because when I left Canada, like a lot of people were like, why would you leave? Why, why would you go to Guangzhou? Or like, you know, what's, what's there? You know, a lot of, a lot of uh, my friends, not close friends, but just peripheral friends who just didn't understand. And even my family were, you know, like, why would you leave Canada and go to China, like to live? You know, what's the, what's the purpose of that? So there was a little bit of like, I need to prove people wrong. And also just personal fear of, of failing. What were you doing before going to China? Were you on, on, on the path to a good corporate career? Or did you just finish school and wondering what to do next? At what f- stage were you just before going to China? 
I was I had just finished school mm-hmm. and I was I was trying to figure out what I was gonna do. But I knew before I knew um six months to a year before I left school mm-hmm. that I was gonna that I was gonna leave. Because I, I just I never I never saw myself working for anybody. Like I just I had jobs in school and mm-hmm. I always just you know I always felt like I could do more. Um I, I remember I had suggestions I, when I worked at RW and Co which is when I was selling women's clothes. Mm-hmm. And for, I guess, your audience, uh, RW and Co. would be what, like, comparable to a slightly fancier H&M. Yes. And it's a Canadian-owned company. And I remember I had some ideas about a store because I, I got into it. I, I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed my coworkers. My manager was cool. So I started having ideas about marketing, like initiatives and things that we could do in the store to make it a more personal experience. So our store is very small and we used to have the same customers coming in almost on a daily basis. Cause it's interesting the way our customers would shop, they would come in, never spend a lot of money, but they would buy like something that was like $20 or whatever every day or every couple of days. And then once in a while drop, you know, 200 or whatever. And um, I found it strange that, you know, we have these regular customers but we don't know their names there's no the the onus was on us as the staff to like make it a personal experience but no there was no like actual system around it within the company and I remember making a proposal to my manager and being like I feel like we should especially for these clients that come in every day I feel like we should have some sort of I don't know just some sort of system where we can recognize them you know what I mean and even for new staff, they could know who the, the regulars are, little things like that. And they were like, okay, we'll, we'll run it to corporate. And then I didn't hear anything back. No, that's what happens, yeah. <laughs> and what idea did you have in mind? I, I don't remember specifically because that, that was like six, seven years ago. But I just remember I, what, what I started doing was I would write down the names of a, of a, of a client and then I would write down some key information about them, mm-hmm. um, maybe like where they work or something like that. And then, you know, if I if somebody came in and I saw the name and I saw like, like I would learn about them and then I would I would, I would give them recommendations on things that were mm-hmm. not even necessarily in the store. You know what I mean? Like if I if I knew that your favorite coffee was a latte and I, I saw that there was a special at Starbucks, whatever. I would tell them about it. Like I would, sometimes I'll bring in coupons or whatever and just yeah. give them, you know, just like little personal touches because, mm-hmm. you know, you see this person every day, you're talking to them for five yeah. minutes at the counter, like you learn about their lives and why not apply that into, into your business? And it's interesting when I, when I think about that because that's kind of like what like marketing is with, with um, sort of email marketing and online marketing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. When you build an audience, you get to know your audience and then you use that, those personal touches to improve the relationship and, and improve the business. It's all about, you know, nurturing the relationship and the more you can connect with them, the more they can, you know, they will yeah. do more and more business with you. Awesome. Tell us about your business. What are you doing? What are you up to? So um, the main branch of the company is called Source Wine Asia. It's a manufacturing consulting company. My business partner, Mike, he founded the business in technically 2009, but registered 2011. 
And um, I joined in 2015 because he'd shut down the company and then I joined and then we restarted. And, um, you know, quite, we started off working out of our apartment. Um, I was teaching English at the time, part-time. So my some of my students became interns. One of my students became our first employee. Nice. And uh, my first client was one of my friends. Uh, it was it was an interesting experience. And then uh, so we went from that to, you know, getting an office. And, and since then, we've probably exported a little bit over $20 million worth of um, products globally. Wow. So, yeah, we're manufacturing consulting companies. So we're not necessarily your traditional trading company. Mm-hmm. Of course, we do buy and sell for clients sometimes, but most of the time we take a consulting fee as a separate fee and then manage sure. uh, productions, sourcing, research, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the main thing that we're launching right now is uh, it's called the SFA Digital Summit. Yes. So sfadigitalsummit.com. It's live right now and it's free. And uh, basically what it is is we got experts in different fields, Lorenzo also being one of them, to give presentations about specific topics around e-commerce, uh, physical product manufacturing, essentially. Mm-hmm. So brand building, crowdfunding, uh, manufacturing, quality control, uh, shipping, having a, a cause in your business uh, if you're selling a product, um, and the e-commerce side of things, Facebook ads, everything. So. Yeah, it's completely free to sign up and you know you get to experience that and learn from these experts. The summit itself is a uh, lead-in to our manufacturing program that we're, we're launching as well. Tell us more about your manufacturing part. program. It's called the SPY method. So sourcing, production, import, and export. It's like if you took the SOPs of your company and then made them into a, a program that was easy for people to follow step by step. So we mm-hmm. kind of took those um, the standard operating procedures, made them into like nice short videos with some slides and some information. We also provide like contract templates and you know things mm-hmm. like this that usually we wouldn't actually even give anybody for free. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, so the manufacturing program I'm also pretty excited about because I feel like that opens up a whole new world for uh, startups and, and entrepreneurs who maybe can't afford to pay, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or not, not even can't afford to pay, but want to do it themselves first before they start working with a company. So, yeah, but I, I think uh, if you guys check out the summit, you'll learn a little bit more about how the program would be. And uh, I hope you check out the, the program as well. Is the program live yet? Program is live. You could actually technically just go and buy the program if you wanted to. But I, I feel like doing the summit first kind of gives you a good foundation. I think the whole point of the program is like you want to do everything properly. So I want people to not skip steps. So, yeah, I think going through the summit first, which is free, learning a little bit of the base stuff. And then the program really goes like deep into the manufacturing process. Okay. And they can find and information on that. You said sfasummit.com? sfadigitalsummit.com. Oh, okay. So what's the structure of this program? So is it like a, like a course for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days? Or is it 
comprised with not only videos but also calls, coaching calls. Do they have an option to go one-on-one -on -one so with people? The structure is um, we want people not to skip steps, but we kind of broke it down into OEM and ODM. So everything that we talk about, whether it's supplier research or quality control, we kind of give you a perspective of how this is done when when you have a Mm -hmm. white label product or a product that you designed from, from scratch. And um, the structure is like four different programs. So sourcing, production, and then the import and export are all separated. And, you know, it all leads into the next stage. There's two different tiers. One is the CEO kit. The other one's called the founder kit. The CEO kit comes with eight calls with myself or Mike. The founder kit comes with four, four calls, and also the the CEO kit. Um, you get fifteen percent off on Source One Asia services as well. Awesome. So I mean, we structured it like that. You get access to all the 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 modules. You get access to even the summit because the summit is um, it's free, but you only have access to it for forty eight hours for each day. There's three days okay. with the summit. So, but if you purchase the course or the, the program rather, then you still get access to the summit videos as well. And and then the, the plan as well is we are going to be building a community around it as well. Because mm -hmm. I've always, that's something I also wanted to do is I just always was trying to figure out how I would structure it because I wouldn't want a situation where I, com I created a group and I wasn't active. And at the same time, because of everything else that I do, I didn't want to be spread thin, trying to keep a, a group alive. So with this, it, it kind of works out because um, we're going to create like set schedules for myself to come and jump in, communicate mm -hmm. with people, answer questions, and everybody's going to be, you know, from the, the program. So, you know, we can share information, things that we learned. And what I like about it as well is like, the thing about the program is if you're manufacturing something, you can't really time it. So that's, that's the aspect with what we're doing is like, it's kind of go as you progress in your own business mm -hmm. with accountability. Cause yeah, we, so, you can't, we, you can't guarantee a production in, in a certain amount of time. Especially yeah. nowadays. Yeah. So you said that the uh, content of this uh, summit that you just held is only available for three days. So if someone wants to, access that and is there any way for them to do now or is it too late no they can they can do it now i mean we uh you know the 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 videos and the presentations and the q a's were were pre-recorded were mm -hmm. recorded so they can have access to it now if they go to the website sfadigitalsummit.com just uh, submit your email and uh oh, okay. you know you can you can you can access the course awesome. i mean access the the summit material mm -hmm. What would you say is your ideal client avatar? Who are you trying to serve? I think for the manufacturing program, mm -hmm. it's definitely startups, uh, entrepreneurs, um, small, like let's say first, second year businesses. Because what I find is when they come to us, it's interesting because usually the, the companies that have the least experience require the most attention, mm -hmm. right? but then obviously they're more budget conscious. So it becomes a situation where you feel that in order to 
give them that attention that you need, that they need, you need to charge them more money. But I mean, they can't afford it. So for me, I always end up going above and beyond. Like with our company, we've had situations where, Mm -hmm. you know, a client paid us for a very specific service and then we ended up doing so much more for them. And that's just because I, you know, it's just the, the sort of company ethos or personality. But at the same time, you know, we get, when we get busy, we can't really do that. So I thought, you know, uh, being able to service startups, entrepreneurs, where they can still progress in a professional manner without having to necessarily kill their budget. Speaking of budget, perfect segue. Someone, let's say that's brand new, a newbie wants to transition from corporate to whatever into entrepreneurship and launch a product. What would you say is the minimum amount of capital required to successfully launch a product in 2021 and beyond? Is it original design or is it uh, OEM? Give us maybe some figures for both. Original design is tough because it's like it depends on the product. This is just to give you some perspective. I'll say like something as simple. Let me see if I can pull up something. Something as simple as as this, Matryoshka. If this was an original design and you, sh- you change the shape and you had some uh, specific like printing and things like that, you would think it's relatively cheap, but it, there's a lot of like intricate painting and there's a lot of colors on there. It takes a long time to make something like that. And the shape as well, because it's made from wood, it's not easy to make certain shapes from wood. So you might end up paying with the, the initial designs and all that stuff. You might end up spending $20,000 on something that's that simple. For OEM, I think the general consensus is it used to be 5k like if you wanted to launch an amazon business minimum i think it's probably closer to 10 15k now um so like yeah with with odm it can be twenty thousand dollars can also go can also go up to like 50. oh yeah but i i think you need to be prepared to spend around twenty thousand at minimum if you're doing an original design unless you're just doing like uh, clothing or something like that something that's a little bit more basic hey what's up guys thanks for listening to this episode of the main Cheddar podcast if you want to reach out to us that's podcast at sourcefinancial.com if you want to check out the show notes from the episode that you just watched that's sourcefinancial.com slash made in china and be sure to also check out our youtube channel sourcefinancial all one word cheers this and that about such and such man damn where is the fucking trust i'm tired of the hoop and hollering i'm about to take the coop to collins uh then take a female to the island uh then take her clothes off and do the honors yeah now she hear i'm with them other bitches yeah i told her mine no fucking business Shit, she probably out your fucking niggas.